All right, good morning. It's nice to be back. Nice to be back. It's been a long time since I've seen so many faces. Good to see everybody here today. We will continue to wrestle with whatever restrictions that need to be met. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm not worried about it at all. Well, let's just jump right in. We are well on our way to finishing our travels through the book of Exodus. If you've missed anything, it's all available online at our website in an audio format to listen to. There are, man, there are so many people that just don't know the Bible uh, today. Um, I see so much of it out there uh, amongst people who actually go to church who say things that's just crazy and just prove that they don't really know their Bible. It's the reason we, listen, it's the reason we spend a great deal of time teaching on the different books of the Bible, because I, I want you to really know the Lord. I want you to not just know his character, which absolutely can be accomplished through topical preaching, but I want you to know more than that. I actually want you to know his entire story, his travels, his really just the fullness of his pursuit of us. And so we teach the Bible in context, in hopes that that you know, you and I, we can grab something deeper, uh, and often, really, man, where few people really travel. Amen. So, hopefully, you you have your Bibles, uh, uh, and if you're there, turn. Go ahead and turn to Exodus 24. There uh, are roughly 40 chapters in this book, which means, hey, we're on the downhill slide. It's been good too. Lots of crazy supernatural events, interesting stuff. At this point, Moses has already delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. The plagues have already happened. However, their time in the wilderness, well, it has begun. And it's, it's, it's likely to be the hardest part of the journey. And this is where they have to learn what it's like to be free after having spent 400 years in slavery. And while I can't know that, what that's exactly like, I have to imagine it's not an easy transition Still, here we are at chapter 24, and it's time for God to speak once more. It's time for something familiar once more. So this time God calls Moses back up the mountain uh, to a personal time between them. And we're going to just start it right off, Exodus 24, verse 1. I'll read the first two or three verses, and we'll just keep kind of go from there. Uh, Verse 1, then the Lord instructed Moses, come up here to me. And bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. All right, let's just stop right here and let's pray uh, that God would bring his word into our brains. Come on. Father, we just thank you this morning. What a wonderful morning. We thank you for being able to meet together, God. We thank you for, uh, Lord, just for the friendship and fellowship that it is to be your body. We're thankful. We miss the arms and legs and hands and feet, God. We we miss each other, Father. We feel uh, the desire to be whole in you, God. So, Lord, this morning, anoint your word. Anoint this place, God. Anoint Marble Falls, God. Uh, that it may grow in your grace, and Lord, that it may grow uh, in justice, God, in righteous living, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen, Amen. 
Well, so I, I think there's a couple of things we should notice here. There, there's this distancing between the children of Israel and Moses. So they have to worship from afar while Moses is allowed to come near. And, and you know, we've talked about the spiritual position of Moses and how unique it is. It's really the perfect image of the pre-incarnate Christ, you know, the mediator between man and God. In Moses, we see Jesus, right? The one who goes before the Father and makes intercession. According to Paul in Romans 8, 34, Jesus is literally sitting next to the Father, and these are Paul's words right here, pleading for us. Now, Moses has consecrated himself. He's chosen to live a holy life, which means he's living a set-apart life. And if that sounds strange, it's because it's what's missing a lot today in our Christian walk. It isn't that the Bible doesn't talk about it or teach it. It does. Um, but for some reason, we don't preach on it enough. Or we've, you know, I think what we've really done is somehow used the grace of God as an excuse to live however we want, which also isn't biblical at all. Also, like Christ, Moses receives instruction from the Father, and he passes on what the Father has instructed. God says, don't come near, so Moses just relays what God says. It's pretty simple. Jesus described it in John 12, 49 this way. He said, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. So, I mean, do you see the similarities there? It's, it's hard not to see the uniqueness of the situation between God and Moses. You can see, I mean, really visibly see that this is ground zero for God's plan. God uh, is using the situation between the Israelites and Egypt to prophetically introduce his future plan for Jesus and the reconciliation of a people who are not holy or set apart right now. They are lost in their culture, which is at enmity with God. So God is working out the details. So Moses goes to God, he listens to God, and then he repeats what God says, right? Just like Jesus does, right? The Israelites do the only thing they can do, right? Which is what? Well, they, they, they obey, right? Exodus 24, 4 through 8. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up, built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it all over the people, declaring, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. So there is a shift here in how Moses is conveying instructions from God. He first went from repeating that which God said, which is simply right hearing the voice of God and repeating it to the people, now he decides to write it down, and he calls it the Book of the Covenant. Now, to me, this is just good leadership. There was actually a, a recent article uh, that PBS published, and it talked about writing down the things we hear or taking notes. Uh, in, in contrast, it was contrasting handwritten notes versus taking notes, being able to type them in through your computer. What it had to say about... Uh, writing it down uh, was this. It said, taking notes by hand forces the brain to engage in some heavy mental lifting, and these fo efforts foster comprehension and retention. They were basically saying that handwriting notes is better than even typing that, right? And I kind of think we all know this to be true. Um, it doesn't say that, that 
typing them down is bad, but it definitely says that writing them down with hand is better uh, because you summarize a little better. You have a tendency to think about how you want to write that so you can remember it. So kind of important. If you want to remember something, you write it down. That seems just good, smart stuff, right? This covenant was absolutely important. It was a contract of sorts between God and Israel. It's entirely based on God's words and terms and not on our own words and terms. Let me say that again. It's entirely based on God's words and terms, not on our own. And before you think that sounds a little one-sided, it's interesting to note that just as much as God was off, what God was offering was non-negotiable. He didn't force it on anybody either. God never has forced his plan on anyone. Even today, salvation is a gift that can be received or uh, refused, and that choice is yours. Also, this covenant is with everyone in the general sense and not in an individual sense. And that means that the same rules, well, they apply to everyone, right? It furthers the idea that God holds all people to be equal, basically, in his sight. Some are not more special than others, right? And, and the unfortunate part of that is that concept of discipleship, you know, it's it's differently defined in, in churches today. I know that churches def- define what discipleship is differently or how important the gifts are differently, and that's unfortunate. But how the Bible views discipleship hasn't changed, regardless of what men in the organizations accept or teach. And, and listen, guys, there are many that struggle to teach on holiness, which is obviously important because without it, we would not have men like Moses that are able to hear the voice of God and convey it to the people correctly. Men like Moses are really rare. Men that are, you know, set apart uh, from the world are difficult to find these days. Um, Even with all our technological advancements, we're no closer to God than many of the people from the Old Testament. But let's just let's move on. Exodus 24, 9 through 13. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 of elders uh, elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And then these nobles of Israel gazed upon God. He did not destroy them. In fact, they had a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. Stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so that you can teach the people. And so Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Interesting. I mean, isn't it interesting that the Israelites are given a glimpse of God? It obviously can't be his face, as you know. we'll later cover Exodus 33, where the Lord actually says, You may not look directly at my face, for no one can see me and live. Yeah, that's terrifying, right? This has got to be more like the experience Isaiah had, where they see a part of God. And for the Israelites... It had to be like, I'm thinking it's the bottom of his feet, right? It was such a small sliver of the Lord that their big takeaway was the beauty of the blue glass-like surface to which he stood upon. They received this event as a monumental occasion, and they, you know, they celebrated it. Uh, I couldn't help but be reminded of the beauty of this occasion and its similarity to the New Testament church practices. Um, Acts 2.42 records that the ecclesia, which is the movement that church began, uh, or the movement that Christ actually began. He never, Christ never used the word church, he used ecclesia, um, which means it's more of a movement than an actual building and organization. Uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the sharing of a meal, including communion and to prayer. So all of these attributes we can see up on the mountain with Moses uh, and Israel before the Lord. There was all this, 
It just shows you this was always plan A. Jesus was always the answer. He's always been the way. Also, there's been this escalation in how God conveys his, his word, right? It went out verbally to Moses uh, first, then Moses wrote it down second, and now God tells Moses he's going to actually write it down on stone tablets, further solidifying the covenant. And I, and I think this is done so that there's no question of what God said, right? Because you might be able to question uh, motives and the humanness of Moses, but when it, God writes it down, you know, there's it's really no question, right? You may choose to interpret what you want from it, but make no mistake, God wrote it, and it is the truth. And listen, church, ultimately how he interprets it is what's important. That's why the search for biblical truth is so important. Knowing your Bible is important. Allowing your Bible to teach you and draw you closer to God is important. Remember the Pharisees and how Jesus described them? He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Church, there are always going to be some people that will try to manipulate what God has put in stone. Let me say that one more time. There is always going to be some people that will try to manipulate what God has put in stone. Like the Pharisees, they will bend the word of God to accommodate their lifestyle. Like the Pharisees, they will bend the word of God to accommodate their lifestyles. This isn't an Old Testament thing. This isn't a New Testament thing. This is just human depravity on full display. It's happening right now in Marble Falls and all across America. Nobody's exempt from that sort of behavior, not even the pulpit. I can tell you even in, my, even in this town right here, um, there are many uh, leaders behind the pulpit struggling with worldly issues. Um, what we must do and what uh, Israel did in the moment is we just have to be obedient to that which God is calling us to. Uh, and instead of God writing it on stone, we must allow God to write these things on our hearts. I can't help but think how ironic it is that a stone and a heart have so much in common. Let's start to wrap this up. Exodus 24, 14 through 18. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the cloud and covered, cloud covered it, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So Moses leaves to approach God once more, and this time isn't like before, this silver, uh, this sliver of blue glass-like substance. It isn't the focal point anymore. God has settled upon the mountain in a cloud that appears like a consuming fire. It's frightening, and the people are happy that it's Moses going in and not them, right? And Moses, man, he just walks right in. First of all, how bold is that? And also, how terrifying is that? And then I started to think, how come we all don't want to experience God like that? God didn't hurt Moses, and yet we can't help but fear God. We read through what he did to the Egyptians. Society's even made movies covering the fast supernatural force that's God, right? I, I still think, though, that God is calling us to the cloud, to the cloud of mystery and the cloud of truth, the, the cloud of discovery and the cloud of relationship and the cloud of grace and forgiveness and hope. 
Some will dare to step in, and some will always live in fear. Some will accept what God has to offer and obey his challenge to enter into the cloud, while others will stand back and either spend their time talking about the cloud or they'll just leave it altogether. What I want for you, church, I want, I want to challenge you to enter into the cloud, enter into the covenant with Jesus, accept forgiveness and grace, walk in being born again, made new to his likeness, shred your former self, shed your fears and all your mask, walk upright, set apart, and holy. I mean, look at the man Moses. When a man is in relationship with God, he has favor with men. They respect the walk and talk. It is the man that is divided that is the least respected, even though he may do good works. Moses is able to, to, to walk into the cloud because he practiced holiness. He practiced being set apart and consecrated for the work of the Lord. Which brings me to these three things here. Let's, let's just close with these. First, Moses was a godly man. And he wasn't just a godly man either. He was actually God's man. And that's very distinctive. The Pharisees were godly men. But there were many of them that were simply not God's men. And I think that's just an obvious scenario. Many times, I don't think it's all that obvious. Many times it's hard to tell who is actually God's people. Jesus even confessed that we're going to uh, meet people and see people who are heavenly involved, involved in good ministry that are not actually going to inherit eternal life. It means that they walked with us and they are, they are walking with us, but they're not one of us. And our response to this should be holy fear and reverence for the Lord. Like Moses, we should, through holy fear, be moved to consecrate ourselves and set ourselves apart from the world. But unfortunately today, this is harder than ever before. The church has popularized uh, or made popular partnering with so many entities that aren't godly for the sake of good works and evangelism. But in doing so, they have also, whether they meant to or not, inadvertently told the world that they didn't have to inwardly change. We nullified the idea of consecration and being what Peter preferred to as the peculiar people. And this shouldn't be you, right? You should strive to become, as Paul described to the Romans, an image of Christ. As Christ was set apart, so should you. As he prayed, so should you. As he spoke only that which the Father told him to say and did what the Father told him to do, so should you. Secondly, when God speaks to you in prayer and devotion, write it down. Notice that I didn't say if you pray or have devotions, because if you're a born-again believer, prayer is a prerequisite. It's required. There is no way you can be in a relationship with someone and not talk to them. If you don't make time to develop your relationships with the Lord and yet still attend church, sing songs, listen to preaching, tithe, and even help with the works of the church, you can still miss out on the promises of God. You have a fair chance of being one of those to whom Jesus talked about, the ones that meet Jesus at the judgment seat and boast of their attendance and works, and then you'll probably be left with your mouth wide open when Jesus turns back to you and sadly admits he doesn't even know you. So talk with Jesus daily. If you hear his voice speak, write it down. When you sit down with your Bible to read about him in the effort to get to know him, take notes. The margins of your Bible should be full with Holy Spirit-filled insight. Last thing, the covenant's unmovable. You do not get to manipulate it into whatever you choose. You don't get to use grace to manipulate what God has asked of us. Yes, grace exists because we fail, but it's supposed to be the catalyst to propel us into consecration, 
not the excuse we use to keep sinning. Will God still love you despite your sin? Obviously. The new covenant in Christ is offered to you until you die as well. It's the reason that God is holding off the end times. He's actually waiting for you, for you to take this walk seriously. To put away, as the Bible says, the childish ways. He isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should know Christ and receive the gift of salvation. And this, this whole you know, sermon today is really, this, it shows the glory of teaching through the scriptures rather than preaching topical. We're able to address and cover things in a way that's unique. God's design of the Bible, his story, is told in a way that reveals his consistency of character and the, the consistency of his message, right? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we can see it all. That And God's story is still being told today through many of you, and yet God is still holding out for those that are sitting on the fence. He's holding out for those that are playing church today, right? He's holding out for those who are his blatant enemies, this is the testimony of grace, right? He's holding out for those who are just plain ignorant of the truth and are waiting like I once was and like you once were to be told this powerful truth. I pray that you're the one that's able to this week to tell somebody this powerful truth. Let's pray.